in this episode. We have dozens of like New York Times bestselling authors at that level of author who started out writing for Chicken Soup for the Soul. I've probably published close to 20,000 stories. That is a phenomenal effect that the power of these books have had on humanity. That's why I say you have to be open and vulnerable and selflessly share. And it was because of Chicken Soup for the Soul, because I had learned so much from reading all of these stories that I basically have all these coping mechanisms and all these tools in my toolkit to deal with whatever happens, including having incurable cancer. Is there one story for you that really stuck with you forever and it shifted and changed your life in any way? There is one. And I read this story when I was maybe 50, and then I thought, how did I never know this before? A lot of people told me that it was the story that had the biggest impact on them in that book. So, so here it is. Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we explore the inner game of writing and life and inspire you to start, finish, and publish a best-selling book. I'm Mark DeVoe, and in this episode, we have an incredible part two of our interview with Amy Newmark, who runs Chicken Soup for the Soul, the most successful anthology series of all time with 500 million book sales. That's half a billion book sales. And if you heard last week's interview, you'll be excited for this one as well as we continue delving even deeper in this particular discussion. But before we dive in, I would like to thank our wonderful patrons and Bestseller Academy members. And this week, our patron of the week is Mark Randall. Mark, thank you so much for signing up as a patron this week. Um, we're so very grateful for your support. And our Academy member this week is Richard Beasley. And Richard, you are our Academy member of the week this week because you took the massive step of registering your domain name for your website, which, you know, it, it, it seems like a little task. You pop on, you, you know, you put your details in, you search for the right name. But I can tell you from personal experience is one of the biggest steps you can make from shifting from being in your mind, just someone who's, you know, writing to actually thinking of yourself as an author. So really massive congratulations. So if you'd like to be like Mark or like Richard, if you want to be a patron of this podcast, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support get hundreds of hours of extra exclusive material. And if you're interested in joining the Academy, just pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. So folks, before we dive into the interview, a very quick update. As last week, you will know that I announced the name of my brand new project, which is going to be a nonfiction book. It's something that I'm going to be delving into hugely this year and telling you a bit about the journey that I'm going on. It's a bit like a rerun of the first year, but in nonfiction rather than fiction. Um, but I made this big step of launching my website as well last week. And it's a really scary moment. I've done quite a few websites in my life. I think my first one was in 1996, which is actually the first ever property website in the UK. And this time around, I don't know how many, it's maybe my 20 or 30th website I've launched in my, in my lifetime. But this one is always, it's, it never gets easier because you put it out there in the world and you think, you know, is it going to be tumbleweeds? And every author's been through this as well. You know, there's loads of work. You put this website together, you, you mention it and you think, will anyone even care? 
But I just want to say thank you to everyone who went and checked out Passivida.com because I had not only people sign up to the mailing list, I even had people sign up to the Passivida pledge, which is a pledge where you will start to promise to yourself as a practice that you will try to make peace with everything that comes into your life. No matter how big or small, the idea is, is that you start to practice reacting in a completely different way to the way we usually react, which is, you know, anger, stress, conflict and the like. And it's something I've been doing in my life and I'm finding it massively helpful. Um, so rather than going into all the details there, if you're interested, go along to Pasavida.com. That's P-A-C-I-V-I-D-A. And Pasavida stands for making peace with your life. I also just want to say thank you to Leslie Cara, because Leslie was the very first person to sign up to the Pasavida pledge. And when I, I uh, delved a little, a little bit into Kat, uh, Leslie's own work, and she is a Sunday Times bestseller, which is absolutely incredible. And she sent me a little message saying, love this new idea, Mark. I can't wait to hear more about it. So thank you for signing up, Leslie. It's great to have you on board and look out for emails to help you start to practice passive eater in your own life. Now, I will say this as well. There is a whole process that we're going to be exploring on this podcast over the next few months, which is making peace with your writing. Because a lot of the idea behind Passivida is it's looking at all the different aspects in our life that we, we have struggles and challenges with. And I remember last year on the podcast, um, as I was kind of working on this concept of making peace with life, it was incredible. Like in this moment, one of the interviews that we had, this one of the interviews just dropped into the conversation. So I'm making peace with the writing process. And I thought, how absolutely perfect. Because when we look at the writing process, and you'll all know this, every single person listening to this, you will understand and know this. We have good days. We have bad days. We have days when we're absolutely pumped and we're so excited about what's happening with our character, our book or our nonfiction series. And then there's other days where we walk into, you know, wherever it is that we, we work and we sit down with our notepad or our computer and we just, you know, either can't think of anything or we have the most uncreative or we read back what we've written and think this is absolutely useless. So the whole writing process is such a great analogy for Passivida and for life. It has its massive ups and it has its massive downs. And I've always said this, but we need that in life. We need the ups and we need the downs. And often the bigger the ups, the bigger the downs. But what we don't want is we don't want a situation in life where we're flatlining. Because if you're a doctor, you know that that's not a good thing. And so first steps in making peace with your writing is actually just allowing you to acknowledge that this is part of the journey, that there will be highs and there will be lows. And when you have a difficult time, when you dry up, you know, uh, you don't know what to write, you think your writing stinks, whatever it might be. It's not about engaging with that and becoming down about it. It's just an acceptance that this is part of the journey and there will be better days tomorrow. You know, there'll be de better days next week. This was just one of our difficult days. But if we get so completely identified with those struggles and we can't make peace with them, then it shifts who we are as a writer. And that's a real, that's when problems start to happen. That's when we start to doubt ourselves fundamentally that we can't do this, that it'll never happen, that we won't be good enough. And we start to believe those stories instead of focusing on the story you're meant to be telling, which is what you're writing about. So we're going to delve deeper into this and I'm going to use this analogy of making peace with your writing on this podcast. 
And Pasavida obviously goes a lot bigger than that because it's about making peace with so many different things, whether it's money, relationships, struggles, problems you might have with family and friends. It might be your bigger, you know, almost existential crises around, you know, the environmental problem in the world, um, conflicts and war. So it's it's on every level from huge to the minute. But we'll be focusing a bit on this idea as an analogy of making peace with writing so that I can kind of start to teach you some of the principles behind Pasavida, which I'll be revealing um, over the time of the you know next few months as, as I write the book. Because <laughs> it is a work in progress, folks. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna promise that I have and know all of the answers, but I'm just fascinated to delve deeper into this because there's something really exciting happening with this. Brilliant stuff. Well, listen, let's dive in and listen to part two of the interview with Amy Newmark. Now, if you didn't hear last week's, you could always stop this and pop back and listen to that, but you can listen to this in isolation as well, like any good series, right? You can pick it up and and you'll still get some huge value from it. So just as a quick reminder, Amy is editor-in-chief of Chicken Soup for the Soul, which was originally co-founded by Mark Victor Hansen, who we had on the show a couple of years ago on the New Year's Day special. And Jack Canfield, and many of you will be familiar with Jack. Um, he was featured on The Secret, which is a massive breakout, a uh, huge documentary. I think it's on Netflix, uh, one of the streaming platforms, um, all about the law of attraction. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Um, I loved, I've loved the work with Jack and, uh, and Mark for many, many years now. Um, and Amy took over uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul in 2008. And since then, she has published you ready for this? More than 20,000 stories because each chicken soup book has 101 stories in it. And they get, I mean, they publish 20,000, so you can imagine how many they've been sent. But in today's interview, amongst other things, we discuss how Chicken Soup for the Soul launched the career of countless New York Times bestsellers. We talk about the power of a true story and the importance of being vulnerable and open in your writing. We also delve into what is narrative nonfiction and how you can use emotion to connect deeply with your readers. And then we also chat about how to deal with toxic friends. And Amy shares how gratitude has helped her with a major health challenge in her own life. So let's dive in and listen to myself interviewing and chatting with the wonderful Amy Newmark. I had no idea that there was this absolutely massive kind of back background and a, this kind of family of authors but of course it makes complete sense because you you know being an anthology you're releasing 101 well over 1200 300 authors a year and it must be fantastic for authors where this is their first experience of being published as well i mean that must happen quite a lot it does and they are so excited and a lot of people have launched their writing careers, their professional writing careers, by starting with Chicken Soup for the Soul. Um, we have, and I'm not exaggerating, we have dozens of like New York Times bestselling authors at that level of author who started out writing for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Brilliant. And <clears throat> it's something that's very important on um a writer's resume, if they show that they're in a chicken soup for the soul book, because agents know mm. that you're competing against thousands of submissions to be one of those 101 that makes it into one of our books. So it's a really big deal to get published by us. 
But most of our writers really are very good storytellers. And I mean, you know, it's just as good storytelling when it's nonfiction as when it's fiction. And you still have to have a story arc and a sense of how to tell a story. And in some ways, it's even better storytelling because it's actually true. And how exciting is that when it's true? I mean, you look at some of these authors who have been exposed as frauds, like James Frey, for example, right? And his books were fabulous. I mean, I loved his book, his book about addiction and everything. Mm. And then it turned out that he had embellished or, you know, changed some aspects of it. And then everybody was like, well, now it's not as good because it's fiction. And so there is something about when it's nonfiction that really appeals to people. And that's what makes us so effective in the self-help world because you're reading about a true story that happened to somebody and how they dealt with a certain circumstance in their life, whether it was something great like planning a wedding or whether it was something really difficult like grieving you know, the loss of a parent. And you, you really learn better from reading the personal experiences of other people and it somehow gets inside you more when you know that it's a true story. And we're Absolutely. very conscious of them being true stories. Like we do a lot of fact checking. We work really hard to make sure that people are not fictionalizing some event in their life. Like Mm. these stories have to be true. The only thing we let people do is change names of people, you know, to protect privacy of somebody. And sometimes even our writers will use a pen name if they need to protect their own privacy, mm. you know, if they're talking about how they overcame their drug addiction, right. well, we will go to them and be like, you might want to use a pen name, you know, since you're applying to grad school right now, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like, you know, so, so that happens also. Well, it's, it's also, whenever I sit down to watch a movie and those words come up at the beginning of the film based on a true story, something shifts in me. I'm suddenly do you know that feeling? It's like something shifts in you and you're just completely, I think, oh, wow, this is like, and you, and you, you, you think a bit differently. And you mentioned something really important in you, nonfiction. I always, I always think about, and as I write in this book, I'm always keeping this in my mind, that nonfiction, the best nonfiction is still great storytelling. And I think there's this strange, when you think nonfiction, you think, oh, it's, it's, it's all like, people often go to this place of, oh, it's encyclopedias, it's facts, it's cookbooks, it's, you know, history of of, of the world and of wars. And, but really the, the nonfiction books I most enjoy reading, always every chapter or the beginning of any new concept always start with a story. And so I just see it as an extended form of storytelling really. And, and with Chicken Soup for the Soul, it's all stories. It uh, is all stories. It and, is. and that's why I try to always say that it's narrative nonfiction, because I hope that repositions it, yes. that it's not some kind of to-do list or write 10 things in your journal and, yeah. you know, here's your to-do list or write a letter to the childhood better, whatever. We don't, you know, there's no homework. There's just reading stories about what happened to people. Um, and by the way, we don't just do self-help books. So each year I would say maybe a third to a half of our books are self-help motivational books. And the rest are just kind of entertaining. Like we, we have really popular books about dog stories and cat stories. Now there are lessons to be learned 
because it, it is interesting, like how many lessons people learn from their dogs and cats, like there really are great lessons in those oh, books, yeah. but those books are designed to be more entertaining. We also do a humor book every year. And these are just really funny stories where I'm laughing out loud as I'm working on them. And um, and we also do a Christmas book every year. So we do books that are more for entertainment as well as our self-help books. Brilliant. That's good to know. Now, for somebody thinking of submitting a story, and we have uh, we have like many, many, many people listen to this podcast, and many of them do a lot of short stories, and many of them love to submit to the short. There's many short story competitions, and we we have a bestseller academy where we have one lady right now. She seems to be like hitting the shortlist of every single like um, short story competition out there. So. It'd be really great to kind of understand for you as you, I mean, obviously you, you've done so many of these. It's like you're probably the, the, the expert, the world expert on like what makes a great short story. But what makes the difference between a 9.7 and a 10 in your book? So, so what I look for, I mean, first of all, you know, it has to be true. It has to be something that makes me feel something. I have to either feel a little teary-eyed or I have to laugh a little or I have to be like, oh, that's such a good idea. I'm going to try that or, oh, I should tell my sister about that or whatever. Um, but I have to feel like the writer is being very open and vulnerable because that if you're sharing a personal story about a milestone moment in your life, you need to actually share the whole thing. And so what I tell people is pretend you're sitting down and having coffee with a friend and you're leaning in and you're saying, all right, here's what happened to me. Maybe this will help you with your same situation. But it's really selfless sharing. And that's what really works for good narrative nonfiction in the self-help genre, for, for us at least. It's opening your heart and being vulnerable and, and really talking about how you felt and, and sharing openly and um, passing on your best advice. And I know people really have to learn through their own experience, but I'm, I've been finding that I'm learning through other people's experiences also. And I have been dramatically changed by working on all these chicken soup for the soul stories. All of my staff has been like, my whole team feels that we're much better people as a result of reading all of these stories. So we didn't have to live through all these things ourselves to be very much improved by reading them. Oh, completely. I've always felt with 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 any of this type of genre, if we call it, of, of of nonfiction, the more of it you can read on a weekly and daily basis, the more it changes your life without you even realizing it. And the fact that you have to sit down and write, you know, listen, you know, maybe read through a thousand stories in a in a, a short period, it. I mean, it's what an amazing job because in many ways. You think about some other people's jobs in the in other parts of the world where they're given, I don't know, like legal documents of the equivalent size that they have to read through for some murder case or something really, really like like difficult. And and over here you've got all of these stories that, you know, on any, any level, everyone that you receive probably lifts you up in some way and there's something something to be taken from it. But what is it about the actual emotional shift that happens because the, one of the biggest things that, that a lot of writers are, are really trying to master is this idea of 
how you make the emotional shift in the reader because the the writer can feel it we've experienced you know in the case of chicken soup story we've we've we felt it in as it's happened to us but it's that translating of what you feel to the to the reader what do you think's the the secret sauce there if you've got any ideas i think if you honestly explain how you were feeling and and what I, sometimes people do something that i think is so useless and i think they took some creative writing class somewhere and they'll write like i opened my red front door and walked down my granite front steps into my navy blue 2009 nissan and i'm like no that is completely useless information i do not care that your car was blue and that it was a nissan what year it was tell me how you felt when you were walking down those steps so if you take us along on your emotional journey in your story well we're not awful people who can't feel like we're going to start feeling those same feelings that we're going to empathize with you right and we're going to start feeling those and having the same hopes and dreams as we're reading your story that you had while you were experiencing it. So I think that's just really important. That's why I say you have to be open and vulnerable and selflessly share. Mm, that's brilliant. Now you've obviously read a lot of stories and this is going to be the most impossible question to answer I know, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And it's like trying to choose from all your children, but is there is there one story for you that really, really stuck with you forever and it shifted and changed your life in any way can you can you remember what that one might have been yeah there is one and this is going to sound so snarky and so not like oh the chicken soup for the soul lady so uh, but it's funny i've shared this story with a lot of people and i shared it in my book simply happy and a lot of people told me that it was the story that had the biggest impact on them in that book so so here it is. Um, and I read this story when I was maybe 50. And then I thought, how did I never know this before? Mm. And the story was about this woman, Georgia, who was going through chemo. And each week or each chemo treatment, a different friend drove her for her treatment and then drove her home. And one week, the supposed friend who drove her just kept talking about all these people she knew who had cancer and didn't have good outcomes. And that was the one time when Georgia had a really bad reaction to the chemo. And then she realized, and there is some clarity that comes with cancer. She realized, wait a minute, why is this person my friend? Why do I have this toxic person in my life? Like friends are optional. And my life is like a garden. And I should be weeding the garden of my life and pulling out the weeds so that the flowers and the plants that remain can get nutrients and sun and water. And so she started weeding the bad people out of her life. And I thought, oh my God, you can do that? And that was such an eye opener to me. And that was around the same time I learned what the word narcissist meant, because I honestly never, I had heard the word, but I never knew what it meant. And then when yeah. I found out what it meant, I, I was like, oh, I know those people. And so I started pruning or weeding the garden of my life. And it was such a positive change. 
And so many people have told me that after I told them that story, it was an epiphany for them as well. And they started going through their list and being like, I don't really have to see that person so much anymore. Maybe I'm not going to dump the person, but if I was seeing the person four times a year, I'm going to get it down to one time a year. And it, it won't be obvious, you know, but I'm going to reclaim my life and spend time with the people who add value to my life. Fantastic. It reminds me actually of a time when I was sitting in a palliative care ward and there were, there was a woman there who, I mean, everyone at the palliative care ward was, you know, obviously going through their final stages of life. And it was kind of crazy because the nurses got a roster in the morning and there were certain patients that they all were fighting over. And there were other patients who they were like, no one wanted to, to have to deal with, which you think in like palliative care, or you think, but they're angels, they're caring. But they were like, oh no, I've got to. And the funny thing was, is there was this, um, I mean, my, my and disclaimer, my wife was in the palliative care ward at the time with, with cancer, which is why I was hanging around. I had this incredible experience of being in a completely different world for three months. And I remember sitting one day in the in the living room area, which was an area where people could gather, uh, friends, family, um, often when people were very seriously ill, there'd be a lot of people suddenly showing up and it would be kind of almost like a waiting area. Um, but I remember this, I was doing a puzzle in, in the living room and this woman uh, came up to, to meet two of her friends and they sat down on the table opposite me and they all just started whinging and going on about how awful everything in the world was. And they was they were talking about their friends and how this and and all three of them were just in this place of just toxic. And I and I just thought to myself, this is incredible. Even in the final days of someone's life, they're spending their energy on this like just awful, awful output. And yet there are other people in the ward who would just going through this incredible transformative experience through death and, and, and being around them was uplifting, which you wouldn't imagine in that circumstance. So I totally, I totally get that. And it's, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting lesson for us all, isn't it? That um, it doesn't matter what stage of life we're in, you know, we, we can choose to show up and be around, be around those people that lift us up, which is, and when you think about it over the whole of your lifetime as well, that's a completely different life, you know, a different, different friend group, a different way of seeing the world. Um, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Now, was there ever a story for you? And this is another question I have to ask Amy, so forgive me for this, but was there ever a story for you that you read and you thought, I would love to publish this. This is brilliant, but I just can't <laughs> for whatever reason. Oh, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm sure there must have been some inappropriate stuff over the years that wasn't publishable, was there? I don't know. I mean, maybe there was stuff that was just so dark that I couldn't publish it. I, right. Nothing really stands out, though. But I'm sure that there were cases where I read a story and it was beautifully written and and it was just so dark and so depressing. I said, I can't publish this because I try, not that we're trying to be sickly sweet, but I try to publish stories that have positive outcomes so yeah. that the reader derives some benefit from it. Um, 
so I, I also don't publish stories by people who are too self-involved and it's all about them, you know, because that's not really helpful either. Yeah. Um, getting back to cancer, I should tell you, um, how chicken soup for soul has helped me with cancer because I have a form of cancer that cannot be cured. It can only be managed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and it's been going on for five years already and hopefully will go on for a lot more years. Um, but I went to see a psychiatrist fairly early, like in year one, because I had told the oncologist I was afraid, you know, of recurrence, which then did recur and recurred again. And I'm about to resume chemo um, for the third time. But I went to the psychiatrist that the oncologist sent me to. And um, so I sat down and we started talking and she was like, do you have anything you're grateful for? And I went on for 20 minutes about all the things I was grateful for, kind of following the Chicken Soup for the Soul playbook, you know, listing all the great things in my life, you know, my great health insurance and my great family support system and just my flexible job and the great medical care I was getting and all this stuff. And then she said, okay, do you have any unresolved issues? And then I went through the fact that I had gotten the toxic people out of my life and then um, relatives who you can't get out of your life. So those you just need to properly, you know, work your way through. And I went through all of that and she could see I had no unresolved issues. I had properly used the power of forgiveness. And at the end of the 50 minutes, she said, I can't do anything for you. <laughs> she was like, you have every life tool that you need. Like you don't ever have to come back. And it was because of chicken soup for the soul, because I had learned so much from reading all of these stories that I basically have all these coping mechanisms and all these tools in my toolkit to deal with whatever happens, including having incurable cancer. And it, it it really is, you know, a dramatic um, illustration of how powerful these stories are. Yeah, I think that's incredible, and 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 I totally get that. I totally get that because through the journey with my wife, all of the years of having spent reading Chicken Soup for the Soul books and and other kind of um, you know nonfiction, personal development, self growth books the experience that we had as a family was completely different. It was actually, and I say this, you know, obviously incredibly hard, but incredibly beautiful. And the lessons that we all have kind of learned through that journey, uh, including my three kids as well. I mean, they were very young at the time, but um, so much of those, um, the ability, the resilience, you know, despite the, the challenges, you know, was this training, and I, I see it as training in many ways, you know, it's like all of that work that we've done in reading and filling our lives with, with positive material, it plays out. It plays out in huge ways that we can never fully understand, even fully appreciate, but we know it. And, you know, as I look back behind you, I see, I think that's like, are those all the chicken soups for soul, for soul books behind you there? 
Those are all of the ones that I'm responsible for. Yeah. I was going to say, did you have to reinforce that uh, wardrobe to, the, the <laughs> display cabinet? It's brilliant. I mean, that's, that's impressive. That's absolutely amazing. But when I think about that collection that I see in front of me now, and I think about every single book that's been published, every single person that wrote the stories, every single person who's read the stories, every single person who read a story and then told it to a friend, every single person who retold that story to their friend, people that told stories in public environments where there were hundreds, even thousands of people. That is a phenomenal effect that the power of these books have had on humanity. I mean, really, when you think about the number of books that have sold, the impact is absolutely mind-blowing. And when you sit back, I mean, I, I don't even think, you know, someone who's, who's living it and doing it every day, I don't think even you can probably fully imagine the positive impact that these books and these stories have had in people's lives. Well, I do get the fan mail and, you know, I am pretty aware of it. And we actually feel a great responsibility because, mm. you know, we bought this company, we inherited this legacy from Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen. I have a couple of people from the original Chicken Soup for the Soul team. So they very much guided me through, you know, my first year doing this because they already knew how to do it. Yeah. And they're still like my right hand people you know, in putting these books together. Um, but we feel a great responsibility and we know that every story that we publish has the potential to help tens of thousands of readers. And we know that the stories are also told in sermons. You know, we know so many clergy use our stories on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, at synagogue and in churches, they use our stories. And we know our stories are used all over the place. So we we are very much aware of the impact that we have. And that's what helps make it possible to work this hard and still enjoy it. Brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. Well, I, I just personally want to thank you and everyone else listening to this who's, you know, I know that we're going to have thousands of Chicken Soup for the Soul fans listening to this this interview. I just want to personally thank you, Amy, for all the work that you've done over the years to um, keep this train going forward and especially especially in today's world where we, we find that we're, we're challenged with so many different things on so many levels nationally internationally we need more chicken soup for the souls i think it's absolutely brilliant and and this is an incredible legacy that jack and mark and has have created that you've you've continued in in into such a beautiful way and um, I just want to honor you in this moment and, and everything you and your husband and the team have done at Chicken Soup of the Soul because um, having this kind of positive impact in the world is absolutely fantastic. And this is a, for you, I mean, you know, we I always talk about, you know, what's a life well lived? And I look at what you do, you and the team are doing and uh, you're all living amazing lives and, and contributing in such a positive way. So thank you so much. Well, it's it's our pleasure to do it. Thanks for letting me talk to your listeners today. Brilliant stuff. And so just to remind people, if they would like to submit a story to Chicken Soup for the Soul, they go to the they go to chickensoup.com. That's correct. And click on the submit story button. Click on books and then you'll see submit your story in the Brilliant. pull down menu and then we guide you through the process. Excellent. So here, here's what I'm going to do as a challenge to my to our listeners. You know, we, we have a lot of listeners with amazing short stories. We have some obviously incredible writers that listen to this show. 
Um, if this, if, if hearing this has inspired you, go for it. And then when you get your, when you get your story published, uh, in chicken soup for the soul, drop, drop us an email at bestsellerexperiment.com and we will shout about it as well and celebrate. Cause that's one of the biggest things we love. We always celebrate the wins big and small, and that would be the, a brilliant one. So who's going to be first, who's going to be first that in fact, we're probably going to get emails. I've already done it. I've already done it, Mark. I've got some, you know, more than likely. So brilliant. Amy. Well, listen, have, have a fantastic rest of your week. And we're so grateful for you coming on the show today. And I'd love to check in with you, you know, down the road and see how everything's going. Would you come back on the show? Sure. I'll happy to do that. Fantastic. Amy, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Mark. Bye. Bye-bye. What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book? Quitting the day job? Becoming a best-selling author? Since 2016, we've interviewed and studied the advice of over 500 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over 1 billion books. And in the Bestseller Academy, we've incorporated powerful and proven strategies for success, inspiring fiction and non-fiction authors just like you to reach new heights and write their best book ever. Ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, coaching, and the most inspiring and exclusive community of like-minded writers? Well, your bestseller dreams are just a click away. Join us today at bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Absolutely brilliant. Well, thank you so much to Amy for sharing and going really deep and, you know, being vulnerable, very vulnerable in this, you know, in herself as well, telling us about her own journey with cancer. And it really, you know, really brings it home to me, um, when I hear stories like Amy's and and think about the work that she's doing in the world, it makes me really think, you know, let's just get on with this folks. Let's stop making excuses. um, Stop putting things off for another year or another month. Let's just start writing 200 words a day, whatever it is, just start to chip away at it because time will not wait for us. Um, But we do know inevitably that time will run out. So let's just make it happen. And I I hope Amy's approach to life and uh, and her story inspire you this week to maybe maybe sit down and do a bit more writing than maybe you otherwise would because what you write lives forever it stays with us as you know forever so please please um use that power today to to start kind of really delving deep into what you want to create with your book and why why you're listening to this podcast what it is that you're showing up in the world to create what legacy do you want to leave in your writing And as part of that, if you need a little help, um, I'm going to challenge you uh, to try and write a story, a short story uh, about your life or about another person's life. And if you want, try try submitting it to Chicken Soup for the Soul. Maybe it'll be the first uh, time you get published. Maybe it'll be the boost that you need, that external validation that you think, wow, actually, I can do this. I am a published author. So if you're interested in having a bit more help with that, I've got a, a, a mini exclusive interview with Amy called The Secrets to Getting Published in Chicken Soup for the Soul, where Amy details the whole process of how to submit a story to Chicken Soup. Um, what you get paid, which is something that a lot of people are surprised to hear, but you do get paid um, if you get published. How you become part of an exclusive community of Chicken Soup for the Soul family of writers and how authors have used Chicken Soup to launch their 
very own writing career. So if you want to get access to that bonus interview with Amy, pop along to the Bestseller Academy in the next week. And you can register by going to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Now, let's dive into this week's wins, which is one of my favorite, favorite parts of the week. And this week, we have the first win of Bruce Vogt, who has said in his progress journal in the Academy that his first short-term goal is creating a writing habit, but not just any old writing habit, a good writing habit. And he wants to be, Bruce wants to be accountable to himself, but kind too. And that really stuck out, stuck out for me, Bruce, because I think too many times in our writing process, we are our hardest critic. We beat ourselves up. Um, we say things to ourselves in our inner mind, in our, you know, as we self-talk that we have, which are far harsher than anyone else would ever say to us. We kind of beat ourselves up. So I love the fact that you're focusing on being kind to yourself, allowing yourself to develop this writing habit. It's not going to be perfect from day one. Of course it isn't. In fact, one of the things I always say to people when I'm coaching them is, your writing habit is something that you will grow with you and will develop and change all the time. You know, you might be, you might have a certain habit that, that lasts for like three or four months, but then you might stand back from it, review it and think, actually, if I tweak it like this, maybe, maybe it could get better. Yesterday, we were having this amazing conversation on the writer's surgery with Ian Sainsbury. And Ian was telling us about how he, through a bit of resistance, he decided that he was actually going to start to uh, learn about dictating uh, words in so using software instead of writing them or typing them. And I know a lot of people on the other side of the fence who are just typing and, um, you know, writing in a book, for example, the idea of dictation is something they may be thinking about doing. They may have tried and it's been an absolute disaster because it feels so unnatural. But interesting, Ian said that as he got past those first few attempts, which were really hard, and everyone knows that if you've ever tried it, it's just, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's like putting on a new pair of shoes that don't fit. Um, but now Ian is cranking out on, an, he said, on an average session, about four to 6,000 words using dictation, which is absolutely mind-blowing. And he said, I think his all-time record was 10,000 words in one day. You think about that, that's like about an eighth of an average book, a seventh of a book. Um, so there's a great example of how you know, we have our writing habit, which might be sitting down at our computer or our laptop or opening our book with our pen and starting to write and getting to a point with that where you're thinking, right, how can I maybe create more words? And then the writing habit shifts into learning about a new way of writing, a completely new way of writing, like years down the road of from when you've started. So um, good luck with that, Bruce. I hope it goes well. And um, I just want to inspire everyone else out there that Allow your writing habit to develop with you. And also, if you haven't reviewed it in a while, like stand back and actually write it down. What is your writing habit? What do you currently do? Is there a structure to it? Is there, are there certain things that you do without thinking? And just look at that, look at that writing habit and ask yourself, is there anything in there I want to tweak? Try something different this week. Any way I can improve it slightly. And that's part of the whole process. Our second win of the week comes from Gloria Thomas. Now, Gloria is part of the nonfiction program in the Bestseller Academy. And Gloria made her dream declaration, which is a massive step for anyone. And Gloria said, my dream plan is to complete an edited draft of my first book. 
working title, The Communication Lab, by the end of June 2024. I'm now at 16,000 words, that's one six, and I plan to self-publish in part because I'll include many illustrations throughout almost every chapter. My aim is to provide in print as much of the fun, humor, surprises, and energy from a live class as possible. So what's fantastic about this is Gloria's been doing this for a number of years in, in seminars and classes, and now she's bringing it all together into a book. Uh, so a lot of content there, but it's that big question of how do I turn this massive amount of content that I've got, how do I bring it and distill it down into a nonfiction book, which is a process that you're probably, if you've ever looked in nonfiction, it's a very common situation. It's, uh, you know, it's almost too much information. That's what I'm struggling with right now. I don't know really where to, where to start with structure and the like. I've just got these hundreds of pages of ideas and, and writing that I've done over the years. Gloria then says, beginning July 1st, while orchestrating self-published work on the communication lab, I want to shift my writing focus to a second book, also based on a class called Speak on Your Feet, which is fantastic. So she's already 7,000 words into that. So, you know, double tracking, which is amazing. And Gloria's goal is to complete a clean first draft of this book and to hold a printed copy of the communication labs in her hand by the end of December, 2024. So Gloria, we are cheering you all the way, all, all good green lights for you in those two books that you're gonna be writing this year. I'm looking forward to kind of seeing how uh, they go and obviously supporting you in the Academy. So folks, that's the end of today's episode. If you would like to watch a video of today's episode, you can do so on YouTube at Bestseller Experiment. You can also join us on socials, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Pinterest. We're at Bestseller XP. And on Facebook, if you just type in Bestseller Experiment, we'll come up. And check out today's show's notes as well and links at bestsellerexperiment.com where you can sign up to our newsletter for weekly updates, new episodes and exclusives. So you can also drop me a note by clicking on the contact form. And finally, if you'd like to get your book written, pop along to the 200 word challenge at 200wordchallenge.com and join thousands of others who are building their daily writing habits. Can you win our first challenge and write at least 200 words every day for the next seven days? Or maybe, maybe even think about taking on the challenge coming up soon, which is writing every day in February. Uh, 20, it's a shorter month, so you know you get a bit of free free days there. So if, you, if you're not ready to start the challenge today, put it in your calendar to sign up before the end of January, because we're going to be starting these monthly challenges as well. So listen, everyone, thank you so much for joining me. Have a fantastic writing week. I really appreciate you coming along today and spending time with me. I hope that you're inspired. I hope you've taken away one thing, at least that you can work and use with in your writing this week. So until next time, folks, it's a goodbye from me, Mark DeVoe, aka Bookmark. Goodbye. Goodbye.